The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In our continuing summer series, sermon series on the book of Ephesians, we turn today to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, verse 30, through chapter 5, verse 2. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So far of God's holy word. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of whom we have become the dear children of God, dear fellow redeemed. <clears throat> All right, I admit it. Sometimes when I'm driving down the road and scanning through the radio stations, I stop for a time on the country station. And once in a while, I'm rewarded with a little gem as when I heard a particular country artist sing a song that had to do with his sudden awareness of just how closely his little boy was watching his every move and listening to his every word. And what a responsibility that was because it tended to come out in that little boy's life, both the good things and the bad things. So in the song, he quotes his little boy as saying, Dad, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow up strong like you are. The little boy says, I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Well, there are many here who have the experience of fatherhood who feel acutely what the songwriter felt when that realization hit him. That whatever he says and does is being closely monitored by the little children in his care, and they're mimicking him, both the good things and the bad things. Many of us here today can look back to a childhood growing up and find many fine things about their own fathers that they'd like to imitate better and better. And whether or not you've been a father or whether or not you had a father who was a worthy example to follow, all of us here today have the same gracious heavenly father. And the grand epic story of how we became his dear children, because we were not, the grand story of what it means that the holy, righteous God in heaven has become our dear Father in heaven, well, that is the very best reason to strive to imitate him, 
to be more and more like him every day. To say in the words of that song, I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you, dear Father. Or to say in the words of our theme, I just want to be like my Father. To be more like my Father by living a holy life, to be more like him by living a forgiving life. Who in your lifetime do you consider the best example? The person you held up as a mentor, whom you wanted to be the most like? Was it your father, perhaps your mother, perhaps a teacher? Maybe an older, close friend who provided a great example to follow. Of course, every one of these human beings we're also sinful human beings, imperfect, and so you wouldn't want to follow everything, no matter who you're talking about. What about you, though? Not as a follower or an imitator of someone else. How do you feel about being the one that others use as an example? Are you comfortable with small children observing your every action, your every word, and seeking to follow exactly the same path. In a word, is yours a holy life worthy of imitation? I'm sure that every one of us, <clears throat> we think about it honestly and are presented with that question. How are you at being exemplary in your holy life? Well, we'd blush. And we'd have to look down and study our shoelaces and say with shame, holy, I've been anything but. I'm ashamed to think of the many times I've set the wrong example for others to follow. And I hope you noticed in the first verse of our text today that when we fail to set a good example, we cause grief, not only to the people who get the bad example, children in particular, not only grief inside your own heart at setting such a bad example, it also grieves someone extremely important to us, who lives in us, who has made us his temple. I'm speaking of God the Holy Spirit. I'd like to remind you of the first verse of our text. Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It causes grief in the heart of God, the Holy Spirit, when we fail to imitate our Heavenly Father, when we fail to set a godly example for others to follow. What kind of things are a grief to him? Well, any sin, but Paul mentions a few here. He speaks of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malicious talk. And if you rifle back through your own memory, you can think of plenty of examples when you've grieved the Holy Spirit too. Have you ever nursed anger or bitterness or jealousy against another? Has bitterness or anger ever erupted in stern or even shouted words, and you just spread the misery around to people nearby. 
Have you had the situation where you knew exactly the words that would hurt another person and spoke them out loud anyway, regardless of the consequences? Have you ever passed along a juicy bit of gossip that drags someone else's name through the mud, whether it was true or not, but it didn't help anybody? I think we'd all have to plead guilty. Have you ever felt the pain in your heart after doing such things? It's also a pain. It's a grief to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, who sealed you for the day of redemption, who put Jesus in your heart in the first place. So when you're thinking about this kind of grief that you've caused to others, to yourself, to God the Holy Spirit, well, then think about this question. How does the word, quote, holy, unquote, fit you? And you know, truth be told, we're not always so sure we want the label anyway. Do you really want the regular people you meet day in and day out to think of you as holy? Sometimes not, because of the way the world around us looks at that word. If someone's considered to be the holy one, what many people are thinking is the hypocritical one. Holy, in the view of a great many, means holier than thou, as though I were a cut above the lesser people. Holy means someone who is a goody two-shoes, who looks down their nose at others, who stands in personal judgment of other people's behavior, who polices other people's thoughts and actions, and the people we come into contact with day by day really hate that, as well they should, because God does too. God doesn't like a hypocrite either. So given that, do you really want to be Holy. Well, you ought to, but not according to that definition. Yes, as Christians, we want to be holy, but it has very little to do with ourselves. Real holiness has nothing to do with holier than thou, with policing other people, with being the anti-fun person in the room. Instead, real holiness has to do with a gift freely given to you. And it's only found at the foot of Jesus' cross. And I'd like for all of us to take a few moments to visit that blessed place. Imagine yourself approaching on Good Friday the cross of Jesus. He's flanked by known criminals. He's being taunted by the scribes and Pharisees, his mother and the apostle John standing nearby. And as you stand at the foot of Jesus' cross and gaze up, what do you see there? You've come with your failures, your sin, your shame. You've come to this place with the opposite of holiness. But you see hanging there, as Paul describes it in the final verse of our text, you see how Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
how and we can breathe a big sigh of relief because it's here here where I find my own true holiness but it's not from me it's something that the Holy Son of God earned his whole life long it's something that the Holy Son of God earned for me when he paid the price for my personal sins and my bad examples given to others it's about what Jesus did what Jesus did as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And that just provides us with another beautiful angle on the gift that God gives of his perfect holiness. Because what it refers to is centuries upon centuries before the time of Christ, whenever the Jewish priest would slaughter an animal, prepare it and place it on the altar, light the fire, and it would burn as an offering to God. And the smoke that would billow up toward heaven was a savory scent. And it pointed forward to the real sacrifice that Jesus would someday make. It kept the people in mind of sins that really needed to be forgiven by the Christ who would come. And on that day of Good Friday, when Jesus brought himself as a sacrifice and gave all, and breathed his last. He bowed his head in a death he didn't deserve. And we can see how, in a beautiful sense, the savory smoke rose up to heaven and God breathed it in and said, the debt is paid. My anger is gone. And all those who know this son of mine as the savior, those rebels, they're forgiven. They're free. They belong to me now. They're my own dear children. You see, that's true holiness from outside of us. And the enormity of that gift, the holiness of God given freely, that's what makes you want to say in the words of our theme. Now I just want to be like my father. I want to become more and more what I've already been given in Christ. Jesus gave himself to me. About the least I can do is to dedicate myself to him. To do away with bitterness and anger and hurtful talk and selfishness. And instead, to make my habit and practice, my example to others, more kindness, more truthfulness, more faithfulness. Not to earn eternal life, of course not. That's already been given to me. But to dedicate myself, body and soul, to the one who dedicated himself to me. Because in Christ, heaven is already mine. Now what about when you fail? Because we've known this blessed gospel message for a long time and we experience the failure of recurring sins every day. We know what to do with them. We know to return to Jesus' cross daily, to bring our sins with us daily, to find God's assurance of forgiveness and Christ's holiness daily. That answer is plain. Here's another question, though. What about when others sin grievously 
against you. That is sometimes more difficult. I mean, when other people fail you badly. <clears throat> I think most everybody can think of at least a time or two when you were just terribly hurt by something someone else callously did. Can you remember the time? Can you remember the time that someone said something about you that was totally uncalled for, totally unfair, totally untrue, or sometimes even worse, only mostly untrue? Can you think of a time when someone made a promise to you, a solemn promise, and then carelessly tossed it aside, even though it ruined your whole world? Can you think of a time when someone else took advantage of you and didn't care at all that their minor gain came at the expense of your own grievous loss? Can you remember any details of those events? Because when they really hurt, we tend to review them over and over and over again. Think of that particular time and ask, did the person who did that terrible wrong deserve your forgiveness? Did the person who did that terrible wrong ever even apologize? Are you still waiting for an apology? Well, let's return to the foot of Jesus' cross and realize the truth that they don't need to deserve it. And in fact, there's no need to wait for an apology. Because if you have to wait for an apology before you're ready to forgive, you're not ready to forgive. If you are ready to forgive, there's no need for any apology because you've already forgiven. How can these things be true? Because of the glorious freedom that you have in Christ and his cross. Let me remind you of the central verse of our text for today where Paul writes, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. How was that? You come away from Jesus crossed with forgiveness that has preconditions attached. No, you don't. Did Jesus have to wait for your apology before he made his self-sacrifice to forgive all your sins? No, he did not. When you come away from his cross, is it with partial forgiveness on Jesus' part, with misgivings and reservations? Not at all. None of that. You come away from Jesus' cross fully justified, that is, declared righteous. And if you'd like another little angle on the meaning of the word justified, just take it apart. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. You see the example we have to follow? That person who did hurt you grievously, they ought to be able to go away, as far as you're concerned, just as if it had never happened. Can you do this? Can you have this kind of forgiving heart fully the way God has forgiven you? Sadly, no. 
We're still carrying around a sinful heart. We still need to return with those sins to Christ's cross daily. We'll never get there in this life. But can you do better? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you can. When your attitude is, in all things, I just want to be like my father. With the kind of father I have, how could I want to do anything less than striving to live a more holy life? How could I do anything less than striving to live a more forgiving life? Not so other people can see, not for my reputation or my benefit in any way, but for his glory, for my neighbor's blessing. And you know, the little secret is the Lord has a way of taking these things and bringing them back around for our blessing anyway. Say, I think that country singer was onto something. I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I want to do everything you do because I've been watching you. Paul has the same thought, but he's talking about our Heavenly Father when he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And the way to grow, the way to progress in imitating God, it's the watching part. It's seeing Jesus' example. It's being in his word personally daily. It's sharing his word together so we can see the truth of the gospel and learn from Jesus' example and grow thereby. So stay in the word. We're both that free forgiveness and Jesus' blessed example is found. Stand by the word, put it into practice in your daily life. And then the words that we will soon sing will not be just words, but our lives. Let us ever walk with Jesus, follow his example pure, flee the world which would deceive us and to sin our soul's allure. Ever in his footsteps treading, body here, yet soul above, full of faith and hope and love. Let us do the Father's bidding. Faithful Lord, abide with me. Savior lead, I follow thee. In his name, amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.